Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for June 12th of 2017. I'm Ryan Wilson, Penguins writer for HockeyBuzz.com. I'm Cameron Walsh from HockeyHurts.com. Uh, it's 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 a decent time to be a Penguins writer. They <laughs> just won their second Stanley Cup in a row. And they are the first team to do so since the 97-98 Red Wings. And it's pretty cool. They um, did it in an unorthodox fashion based on kind of the trends that we've been following the last decade or so. But nonetheless... They won 16 games, and no other team can can say they did. No, and like you said, unconventional. Um, not the way the game and the sport had been trending over the last 10 years. But you get to this time of year, and the and the results speak for themselves, even if the process didn't. So we'll talk, kind of. A little bit about that process. We're definitely going to cover what this means in general with, with Sid and Gino. We are going to talk a little bit about where some of these players are headed next because last year the team lost Ben Lovejoy. This year, I think they can lose upwards of like seven or eight guys. There's a lot depending of on how things shake out with. Um, uh huh. Vegas stuff aside, they've, they've got some interesting uh, contracts with the expirations on them. They have uh, some younger players that will be coming up next year, and maybe that pushes some of the other ones out. So, lots to talk about. Where would you like to begin? I reckon Jada got robbed. Oh, you think he got robbed? I, um, I'm okay. Okay, this year with Sid getting the con Smythe, I think his argument was um, a lot better than last year's. Yep. Last year he did not, he didn't generate anything at even strength as far as points were concerned. This year, I thought he was really good all throughout. Personally, I I would have leaned Gino, but I think Sid started closing the gap a little bit in the final. Yeah. Oh. You get there and go, it was Sid. This run for Sid was better than Sid's run last year. and He certainly finished in the cup final series a little better than Gino. So I can understand how he got it. I'm obviously certainly not upset that he did. He deserves every accolade that, that he gets considering everything that he goes through. But I do sit there and just go, oh, Gino. I'd, like, I'd like to see the voting numbers. I haven't seen them yet. I wonder how far back Gino was. Yeah. Because it couldn't, it, it shouldn't have been too far away. And if it's going to be for the entire playoffs, they really should do three, two, one votes for each series, and then total them up at the end, not just vote at the end. Because everyone's got got recency bias. It's you're human. That's just how it works. Yeah, but then you get voters that are talking about clutch and all that kind of stuff. And yeah, it, but it, it, that's not going to help the. The voting. If you're Helping going down that road anyways, it's whatever. If Gino didn't dominate the first couple of series, then there'd be nothing to talk about later on. Like, that's the thing. Like, each series is just as important as the one before, uh, the one after it. 
you've got to win that series before you can move on. So I, I find that that quote unquote clutchness about it just stupid. Um, it's something that people like to yammer on about, and when people perform in the, at the big moment, that's absolutely awesome and fantastic. But getting a goal late in a series is no less important. It's like the argument you and I make with, with Fleury at times. Letting in that easy goal at the start of a game is no worse than letting in the easy goal at the end of a game. Still letting in an easy goal. Yeah. But, you know, I, I'm not going to get up in arms over it. It, it is what it is. Uh, most of the voters are from... Canada? Yeah, so... Yeah. It for for someone like Gino to win it, you, you really really gotta stretch it out. Yeah. And be electric in in the final. And not for nothing, he's. <laughs> it's not like he was a no show. No, no, no. But this, this is the thing. He's the the standards for for winning that award are, are rightfully very lofty and very high. So as soon as you have even like a smidge of a, a drop off from the wonderful effort you were making earlier in the in the playoffs. Yeah, you're in trouble straight away in, in that context. So, you know, what do you do? I mean, they won. I'm still... I got Literally, I have just finished watching the game, and it was a blur sort of a game. <laughs> Ending helps. Uh, you know, but this, this is the thing. It's like I'm, I had real issues watching the stream anyway. It was a terrible feed, no matter which particular feed I used. But having to listen to the NBC guys and particularly Pierre Maguire rub it on about this is a classic game and all this, it's like bullshit. No, it's not. As, as far as a display of how good hockey could be, puck wouldn't stay flat, players kept getting hacked and whacked, blown call, then an overreaction from the officials making wanting to make sure they don't feel, feel like they robbed Nashville. Like, it just... Everything that it frustrates me about this sport all sort of blew out into the last game of the year. It was, you look back on it and you go, well, yeah, well, it's probably about right for this season. <laughs> Everything you hate and then the thing you love most, all wrapped up in the one. <laughs> yes. It was like that was the reward for the punishment of having to watch that game. And I don't, I don't want to come off as complaining because I'm lucky. Two out of the four years I've covered this team. <laughs> Pretty good. Um, exactly right. But you know, it, it the the blown whistle call deserves a huge mention. That I mean, the, the thing that I'm not going to get down with is, oh well, the Predators had their chance because they had one that they were given given quote unquote a five on three. Well, they weren't really given a five on three. Those were two penalties. It's just that you don't know when those same actions are going to be called on any given night. But they were penalties. No. Yeah, no, no. What was it, the Mata one? And no, I, for, for me it was the, the fact... No, no, I'm saying those... the first penalty was the Mata one. Yeah, Mata and then Daly punched, Daly the, guy punched the, the guy in the face. So <laughs> yeah. what, do you, what do you want? Yeah, the refs didn't give them. Nashville anything. Those were those were penalties. And, um, you know, they, they took a goal off the board from them. Yeah. Like, literally. I mean, Nashville should have... You know, it's really funny. Listening to a few other podcasts through the playoffs, I can't remember who it was. Somebody was discussing the Nashville power play. Terrible, might have been Tyler Terrible, terrible power play. Yeah. 
And they just they just spread their two D men on the points and go backwards and forwards, have no high low movement of, of uh, that's going to be a threat, and then just bomb away and and you know hope. In there's more talent even with that particular roster they had out there in game six. There's more talent on that power play than they give them credit for to be able to do some creative things out there and. and they were already running a, a simple setup. They dumped it down even further, and and that five on three power play. Like I know that, that they ended up being four for four for eighteen for the entire series. So just a little bit over twenty percent. My maths is right. Four seasons. No, I know, but they scored them early in the series, but they didn't make any adjustments after Pittsburgh's penalty kill obviously made adjustments to make sure they forced them high and wide, as opposed to... If you look at all the goals that Subair scored and and um, Yossi scored and Alice scored on the power play, they were all narrow of the dots. They were never wider of the dot, and they were closer to the top of the circle than where they were shooting on that five-on-three. Play with a little bit of risk and a little bit of attempt to win. They look scared out there, and I don't blame them for that. It's just that's the reality of it when you look at it you know, watching it basically. If you're not going to um, move it around skillfully, it just bombs away and win the battle. You got two extra guys. Well, they weren't even bombing it away, were they? They play catch. Yeah, and it's not like, you know, the Ryan Johansson thing's huge. That would have really altered the series. Say the same about Latang, but we knew that one going this- into the playoffs just would have injected more skill into the game and the, and it needed it probably would have the, the changed series the result. probably but but it, it the series needed more skill there and you know there are some kind of worldly talented players already out there so yeah they have Subban Yossi who they don't use both at the same time uh, outside of that 5 on 3 Neil and Forsberg there's four really gifted offensive players, you should be able to figure something out. And on top of that, it's not like Peter Laviolette's never carved the Penguins up on a power play in the playoffs. No, that's the surprising thing for me about it as well. You're exactly right. So, yeah, I don't have too many Game 6 thoughts about the actual game itself because, like you said, it was kind of a, a blah affair. And Watching it live would have been great just because of the, the game that it was. Like, it was an important game, but you, you watch it in, in a replay sense, and the quality of hockey was just blah. But, um, no, it was certainly tense. We, yeah, I was watching it live. You post result. <laughs> Tough to hide yourself from that result. I was watching it at work, but there's only so much I can pay attention to it on my phone while I'm trying to help people with their computers. I kind of get hung out to dry a little bit at times. It's like, sorry, what'd you say? Oh, hang on. So I have to concentrate a little bit harder on work than I I wanted to, unfortunately. Um, Matt Murray, back-to-back shutouts. Well, what can you say? I mean, if you need... Uh, if you ever need your goalie to step up and, and play well, was that 120 minutes without being scored on? That's pretty amazing. 
and a little bit more. Oh, yeah, you got it. You count the tail end of the game. They. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, you know, there's there's some lame coursey talk this morning on Twitter, in my opinion. Uh, oh, look at the Penguins. They were only 15th out of 16th in uh, Corsi heading into the playoffs. So you, I guess it's not everything. And it's like, ah, I guess we're still going to go through this in 2017. Um, the problem with that is this is the one year out of, since the lockout, really, that, that a team has managed to buck the trend and win. And let's talk oh. about what bucking that trend is. If you're going to not do well on the possession front, you'd better have the top four scorers in the playoffs and the leading goalie for save percentage. Matt Murray was 937, all situations. Not 5v5, all situations. Uh, Flurry was very good when he had his opportunity. But Sid, Gino, Phil, and Gensel, I mean, I'm curious when the last time a, a team swept the top four in playoff scoring. So your point being, if, if it's a copycat league, get somebody else to try and replicate. Oh, this is not a copycat <laughs> template. <laughs> Do you have Sid Gino? No. Last year's, last year's was a copycat. This year is not. Yeah, last year I thought was legit because it was four scoring lines with speed, um, puck moving defensemen. Like, say what you will about Ben Lovejoy. He, he facilitates the Ron Hainsey role better. Oh God, yeah. In 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 my assessment, but do you have Sid and Gino? Do you have like time for the stat one of the live top from SAP where we look at goaltenders of all time? Like, if you don't have, do you have Phil as like your third guy? Oh, you don't. Well, maybe not. Copy this, right? The process last year worked because it felt like. Oh, they buzzsawed like everybody last year. They guys. were the best team. And this was a resourceful team that, uh, you know, they were up against it most nights with the volume the way it was against them with chat yep. volume. And I, I read a stat uh, or heard a stat on NBC's broadcast last night. They were outshot 17 of the 25 games, which is the most ever for a cup winner. So if that's your template... Good luck. You can be thrilled that the Penguins won, but also understand how special it was that they won because there were a lot of different paths this playoff run could have taken. I The, the bonus, I suppose, with the way the team's going to look moving into next year is they're going to be enforced changes. So then they, they, won't, they don't have the luxury of going back to the same team like they did for... 17 um, for 16-17 but it's like okay there were definite holes and flaws in the way this team was constructed they kind of get a free pass on a couple of these guys and they can go about restocking some of those areas where possession just wasn't running their way nope and they they may do but you know this is shooting PDO in your veins before every game is, is kind of what happened. 
Do you want to roll through the the game and sort of give a mark or a discussion on everybody? Yeah. Um, you know, it's tough to talk about the Penguin Stanley Cup and not focus a lot of it on Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin. I know we let off with the, the Consumite stuff, but, you know, kind of dopey articles and narratives of, you know, whatever somebody wants to come up with negative about these two, you're going to fall flat on your face. There's literally nothing you can say anymore. Oh, Gino's bad at face-offs. What is he? Oh, I said Gino's bad at face-offs. Oh, Gino's bad at face-offs. <laughs> face-offs. <laughs> All right, fuck you. No, <laughs> you're right, though. No, you, you, you're exactly right, though. I mean, you look at everything that those two players have achieved um, playing together and then playing individually. And, you know, when Sid went down, Gino just took over the league and was MVP with a ridiculous amount of points totals. Um, they kind of tag team the playoffs. It's like when Gino, was, when, when Gino wasn't quite going towards the end, Sid took over. But at the start, when Sid was a little slowish, Gino was a machino. And it, it's they just work so well together. And the way their contracts sit, look forward to it to at least 21-22. Uh, they work so well together. It's like the two best players in the league over the past decade work. <laughs> <laughs> and it and it's not necessarily them for the other failures. Maybe there are other variables involved. Oh, down the other end of the, the rink? Variables? Yeah, well, at times, but like, you know, towards the end of the Bilesma stuff, the depth, or Shero, Shero's term, the depth was just dog shit. It was hollow. It was. And the fact that you ended up with Patrick Hornquist playing fourth-line minutes shows yeah, that the depth. certainly injury-driven, um, no, I what think. I but they, they had other players. They could put up the lineup. That wouldn't have happened four years ago. They wouldn't have had that depth to be able to do it. Zach Sill riding shotgun with Gino. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, Scott Wilson had his moments and... and had a lot of blah moments through through the playoffs, but he didn't he didn't sink. He didn't swim either. He just kind of floated. I I thought that they were really going to bump Haglin up to that line as the game went on because I thought good. I thought Haglin started to look like uh, last year's version. Hag- yep, and that's a bonus for Pittsburgh because they got him for four mil for two more. So. Get him fit and healthy and hope he doesn't doesn't hurt our lower body part again. So Sidney Crosby back to back con Smice. First time since some Lemieux dude. They've got to get a photo of those two next to the cup like Jaeger and Lemieux, don't they? What's that? They've got to get a photo. Oh, somebody photoshopped. Sidney their heads onto that famous they, photo. But they if they don't do that photo, that what was the point of winning this? <laughs> <laughs> and for those that don't know what we're talking about, there's that famous back to back photo of Lemieux and Yager from the early nineties when they won back to back and uh Yeah, that needs to be done. For sure. It's just, uh, it's just... So 
back-to-back con smites is very, very rare. Only Lemieux, and I want to say... God, I looked it up. Was it Bernie Perrant? Really start goalie. Um, it it was only another one other guy that I. I mean, the, the, the sheer difficulty of that is that you've got to win it twice in a row, which nowadays yeah. is incredible given the parody of uh, yeah, it was Bernie Perrant with the Flyers. He won back to back Con Smythe. Uh, Wayne Gretzky <laughs> did not even ever accomplish this. It went and he lived and he lived in the finals. It's like. You know the same issue with um, the, the the same issue with um, the Islanders guys. They went four in a row, and nobody could double up in amongst all those four. Patrick was the only one with three. Crosby's now tied for the second place with um, I, Mario Lemieux, I, Wayne Gretzky. Still, Bernie Perrant. That's it. Those are the only multi-winners. It's difficult to do. And it just as easily could have been Gino too. So I don't want to lose sight of that. I mean, that's how good Gino is. Yeah. That he could be on that list as well. If um... he only, you know what? He probably only needed another goal, probably two more goals in the finals, in the six games that he played, and. I don't think they would have been able to not give it to him, but it doesn't help that you're Russian, and it doesn't help that most of the media is Canadian, so you're kind of fighting an uphill battle there. That's not to diminish Sid winning it. Please don't think that I'm trying to do that. Um, Yeah, there was an argument to do just that last year, but not this year. Yeah, and I mean, you you sit there with it, and it's like, um, I'd reckon... Both of these guys are probably going to have one more chance to, to win another one. Uh, yeah, it's tough to predict uh, the future. Yeah. But they're, yep. they're still well-placed here to keep going strong. Like, the window, for me, if well, we're going to talk a little bit about the summer. Rutherford has a very difficult summer to navigate. I do think he's already got one of those pieces taken care of. With which particular piece is that? I, I think Flurry is going Vegas to Vegas, Bill? so that's a big hurdle that um, is out of the way. I think because he didn't want yeah. to be stuck with that whole a, a Flurry buyout would have been just <laughs> murder. What they're trying to do, but would have been, um, would have been... you know, for all the. The con smite. Somebody was it Elliot Friedman that wanted Murray Flurry to split it. And yeah, no, no, <laughs> stop. For one, for as much as we, um, you can only praise Flurry's contributions in this playoff run. Yeah, but, you know his save percentage was middle of the pack, and his high danger save percentage was bottom three. So are those con smite numbers? No, if you sit there and you actually do a little bit of research rather than the feel the story of what Fleury had. Oh, good, good luck played. overcoming that uh, in a playoff run that ends in a cup. <laughs> yeah, but you know what I'm saying, though. Like that's, the, the, I suppose the thing that frustrates me with this sort of stuff is that, um, and journalists do freely admit this, they gravitate towards the good story. And it's like, 
let the numbers tell you the story, and then you go and, and find well, information. There's a place for it all. There is, but not a Con Smythe. Like, don't make up a Con Smythe award for the fact that Fleury... If anybody's you know, splitting it, it's Sid and Gino. That yes, should have happened. I agree. Yep. Honestly, that that probably would have been the most fair thing ever. Um, you're not going to hear me argue. They should have split the award for Sid and Gino. That. That's what should have happened. Yeah. Uh, what can you do? Oh, well. Um, but you're not wrong on the story stuff, and there's a, there's there should be a place for that. Um, I just don't like it when the line is crossed between obvious um, storytelling of, you know, that kind of stuff, and when you pretend it bleeds into the raw analysis of the sport. Yeah, this is, you've got to have a line. You've got to draw but, a line. But I agree. that line has been nuked in Pittsburgh. That there's a nuclear yeah. bomb taken to that line with with the flurry stuff, um, and for me, you know, some people won't believe it, but I can separate the statistical analysis from feeling good for somebody. I'm, it's you're able to do both, but I, I like to stay grounded with it. So, yeah. You know, I make no bones about it that Fleury's my favourite player, but there is some holes that are, are there in his numbers that that prove that, you know, he is what he is. His numbers are, are, are like a, a a mountain lion. It goes up and down, up and down like a roller coaster. So, a mountain lion. <laughs> I've never heard that. That's good. You know what I mean? So you, you, just, you just sit there with it and go... He is what he is. He is a fantastic person and an awesome teammate, and the Penguins locker room will probably be worse off without him. Yeah, there's, but, you know, the, yeah, there's no questioning that based on just the players' reactions alone. Mm. But you can't pay him five point seven five mil. That's the the problem you've got. So if you'd not contracted him up the way you had, you might have been able to keep him. And he had his, um, what would you call it, signing off moment with the franchise when he passed the cup to Matt Murray. Yeah, I mean that was that was pretty cool actually. <laughs> like you get there and you can make an argument that Murray probably should have got it and given it to Fleury, but the well, symbolism of the whole. Thing was I'm good cool. with the symbolism of it. If Fleury handed it to anybody else, but Murray and got it before him this time around again, that wouldn't have been good but it ended up being you know as they call perfect yeah so it it worked well well Ron Hainsey should probably retire on this note though after getting the cup straight after Sid guy probably thinks I just had to make the playoffs this whole time this is easy (laughs) well Phil Castle would be thinking the same thing it's that simple just get in yeah right um I thought well, the well, geez, we haven't been on since game five, right? Um, yeah, no, yeah, game five and six have been played. So, how about, are you wanting to how about that legendary uh, rush? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I've been highly critical of his play, and I don't regret any of that because the numbers were what they were. But holy cow, that uh, 
that Mario Lemieux slice back to the middle of the ice and have James Neal collide with his teammate. And then he gets he busts his ass all the way up to the back post. And by the way, how about that Gino pass through Subban? That was ridiculous. I remember watching that and going, and you've got to give Hainty credit for actually having his stick on the ice to be able to receive the pass and tap it in, right? Well, he but is that was player. That's kind of a prerequisite. <laughs> well, you'd be surprised how many players don't put their stick on the ice at that point, and they flub it. But that pass was immaculate from Gino. Absolutely. That hole was so small. Yeah, and um, I don't have many other. I was it literally left me speechless. I I laughed when when the puck went in because it was so remarkable. <laughs> just, I think I tweeted, "My God, Hainsy!" Like it was just so out of character. But um, you know, you have to feel good for a guy like that. That I don't know if it's fifteen or sixteen years to not be in the playoffs, and then hey. Sidney Crosby's handed you the Stanley Cup. Hey, it's not bad. No, it's pretty it's good. It's not bad. Um, that probably concludes his Penguins career, which which is fine. But uh, it, does it conclude his actual career? Uh, probably not. And if he's going to continue said career, he needs to not play with a team that relies on speed. Because he doesn't, he doesn't let exit the zone in control, and you can't skate with speed without control of the puck. So, if you're going to be a slow team that that, that comes out of the zone um, as a five-man unit, probably he'll probably work better in that system. But if you're going to get there and have your players break, you need to be able to get out with control, and he just does not help that. <clears throat> Excuse me. So. He's he's one of the players that will be moving on. You have to think. Well, geez, I, I would hope so. Did you you know the five on three? I saw the two players that were sitting in the box with the five on three, and I just laughed because it was Daly and Marta <laughs> yeah. sitting in there together. Well, Daly probably I, is another uh, guy that. Um, Great Penguins career. Uh, never not win a cup. Yeah, I um, know. And um, he'll probably be moving on. I think they should. Even There are cheaper options that provide what he does statistically. You obviously want to get he, a bit more than what Bailey provided. He's a player that... He befuddles you. He really confuses you, doesn't he? Yeah, because the raw skill is evident. He has the the, the toolbox to, to make the proper plays. His, his skating is still good, even in his mid-30s. Yeah. But he always pulls up and dumps the puck in instead of taking space. And quite frankly, it bothers me a lot on the offensive blue line like, if he's not in a rush situation with time and space, he's not going to attempt to create. He's just going to make the, the vanilla play. And I'm just, usually I'm sitting there like, walk the blue line, walk the blue line, get the guy to follow you. But he's 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 flat-footed, and he'll just go off the, 
back down to the boards or something like that. So I'm just like, be dynamic. You have the ability to do that. Just, just fucking you, do it. You, you mentioned that Corey Schneider's Corey Schneider. It is Corey. Who's the? Yeah. yeah. It is Corey. It, yeah. It, through his tracking, it, it basically says that daily dumps a hell of a lot, doesn't it? Uh-huh. Is was that just for this year or was it for last year as well? Uh, since he's kind yeah. of been doing it. Yeah, no, no. Wow, that's was that two years now that they've been doing but that. That explains a lot of his crappy possession. You watch him and you're like, yeah, yeah the, why would he be a bad possession player? And it's like, well, but this is this is why because it was like when he turned up to the club last year, it felt like he would walk the blue line a hell of a lot more than he is. He he was this year. Um, but you're right. If he if he does a dump in off the off the um, rush, it is a pull up. It's a safe play. And you're right. He does have the toolbox. It's surprising that he doesn't. He's not a little more adventurous at times when he's got speed because he can skate. So he's probably gone. The guy that shared the penalty box with him. If you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, he should be gone too. Here's the deal with the Ollie Mendes stuff. <laughs> You're locked in at four million, you know, and when you're gonna pay Sid, Gino, Phil, Latang top dollar, which you should to have guys like that around. You need to hit home runs with the middle tier contracts, and right now for me, there's just too much risk involved with that one. Now, could well, he? Could he? Could it turn out that his cap hit could eventually be a value? Um, yeah, I, I can't say no to that 100%, but I'm not willing to to pay the price to find out. And and, and this goes back into perception around the league versus what you can get for him kind of deal. Yeah, reality versus, yeah. And I think his perceived value is higher than his actual value, and I would cash in on that now. And that's that's sort of what you've got to try. and It's like stock sharing and stuff like that with all these players. Yeah, and unfortunately you, with human <laughs> beings, it's a little cold and calculated. But, but unfortunately, as general managers, you kind of have to treat it that way and it's an asshole way to put it and treat people you're exactly right Ryan but it's the nature of trying to fit everything into a hard cap and and you have to eke everything you can out of every dollar you spend and martyrs if you looked at it and said martyrs were you know been paid four million dollars if you look at his output this year what's he worth 1.5 so you got to go and try and find another whatever it is 2.5 value elsewhere in the roster which jake gensel you know fundamentally makes up for that but 700k <laughs> yeah but th this is why this sort of this is why this year works it's why those elcs are so important because you get an elc that comes out of nowhere and like gensel has in regards to his production and all of a sudden you're making billions on the dollar production-wise out of them. It's the same with Rust and, and the same with, with Sheary. All those guys will, are worth peanuts. Sheary's not going to be um, this year coming up. He's going to get his contract. You know, Wilson, Kunakal, and Rust are all 
another year. Gensel's two. So they've got chances to cover for a contract error like Olimata, but you don't want to have another one. And you got Justin Schultz, and I quite frankly would Do I, I would rather allocate the four million to him because he he didn't play top pairing minutes per se, like nobody did. Ron did. <laughs> I stand by what I said. Okay, thank you. Uh, what did I? I got this in the blog. Oh, Justin Schultz. 13 points in 21 games. Last year, Chris Letang had 15 points in 23 games. So he did a pretty good impression. All he things did. considered. You're right. He, he, you can't pay him six, but he definitely deserves... Four. Yeah, four and I a half would, to I five. would be very happy at four. Probably going to be... I bet you it's a 4.75-ish thing for three or four years. So he gets some UFA time. Because that's pushing him to 26. Uh, sorry, pushing him to 29.30. So. But I've seen, uh, that was one of my things this year. I, I really had to pay attention to Justin Schultz and what, what is it that he brings um, to the team because his, his run last year for that second half of the year was really good. But it flew in the face of his Edmonton sample because Edmonton spoils any kind of legit analysis, much like the Sabres have been doing and much like Colorado does. When you're that bad, it's tough to to do proper analysis. And for Schultz, when you do all the the passing data stuff, he he comes out favorably in it. And if you're going to be this offensive team, that's a guy that you'd you'd want to keep around. So Penguins, Jim Rutherford did a great job of getting him for another year. He kind of bought a cheap year to really see, okay, does this actually, is this going to work? And I think the answer is yes. So he's going to be number two on the right-hand side behind the tank. Well, depending. My my, my question also is, are you happy to pay ostensibly $12 on the right-hand side of the ice for two positions. Well, because that's what that's yeah. what you'd be doing. And that's I say I say yes. Between, um, anybody else? No, no. That this is the thing. It's like yes, you you do that. You play him as a second second pairing D man, and just work out whether you want to stick Cole next to him or not. I would lean towards. Not. So you want to shelter Cole in a third line pairing? Yeah. So the next question is with whom? I don't know. Probably not on the roster yet. Or somebody that should be on the roster. Well, not. That, um, that's not. <laughs> uh, no, I think Pittsburgh needs to think about their defense core heading into this offseason. Uh, they. As we talked about extensively earlier in the podcast, they they really bucked the trend with not, you know, the Latang thing. You can't. Well, can you plan for it? You could try to plan for it, knowing that he does miss time, seemingly every year he for usually, random stuff. And, he usually gets to fifty-ish games. <laughs> and you know, 
it's something I wanted Latang insurance all summer long for a reason. They're just fortunate Sid and Gino went off and the goaltending was amazing. So you look at the way the roster's constructed. So you look at what they've got up front, what they've got down back. Their minor league system's set up to fill some of those holes that are in the front end, but they've got nothing in the minor league system really that's going to fill the holes they've got on their defense. So they're going to have to go down the UFA path defenseman-wise to fill some of these holes. They don't have a choice. They can make trades. Yeah. They're going to make trades. That's what he does. They have to, yeah. Well, actually, you're right. That is exactly how he how he operates. So what do they do with Benino? Just a broken, just a broken leg. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't invest there. I thought he had a miserable year this year. He did. Who knows what kind so of variables you... go into it behind the scenes, but this is his payday. He deserves to go get it. I don't think Pittsburgh should be the one giving it. That's another one of those middle-tier contracts you can't miss on. And I think paying 4 to $5 million, which is something I certainly think he can get, I, I would look towards other avenues. In fact, the San Jose guy, I think you could sell him on being a third-line center in Pittsburgh. You really think? Oh, geez, I tell you what. How awesome are you if you got that one right? <laughs> Why wouldn't he? The San Jose <clears throat> thing has run its course. No, no. <laughs> His contract's I, up. He's not going to be looking for a huge term. No, he's proved <sighs> There's a lot of things that lean towards it. I just sit there and, and chuckle at it because it's just like that's sort of a too-good-to-be-true kind of option. And also another one of those situations where it could be too many head, you know, too many cooks spoil the broth sort of situation as well. So, no, nope, that's not. Canada doesn't seem to have a problem with that. No, that's true. But they are short tournaments. But you are right, and he's always been a massive part of that, their success through all that as well. So, I mean, if he's I really looking for a Stanley Cup, could you point to another team that that would make more sense? Um, no, not in the sense that his his role would be so easy theoretically. He'd be the third option that someone has to go and try and defend. Like for a man whose points per sixty production really dropped off, um, I think it could have a bounce back him, if he's not you're taking setting on. him. Yeah, you're setting him up to succeed by putting him in a in a role where he theoretically should be seeing a, a slightly easier competition. So, and, mind you, and, though, his line mate down there theoretically would be a little less, depends on what they did where they whacked Kessel. And the power play, uh, for me, <clears throat> I, would, I would love to see the sit, sit, sit down low, uh, Joe on the half wall, Malkin right point, Latang left point, Kessel other guy. So now you just sounds like you're talking about an all-star game. I'm talking about a three-peat. 
but that's that. Okay, so this stemmed from the Benino conversation. Okay, that's one. Well, hang on, that's so let's one get back thing. to reality. Is that what you're saying? No, I'm saying I have <laughs> thought about replacing him, and another guy well, that to. I would look to replace him with. I, you always hear about Bozak in Toronto uh, being on a trade block of some sort. I would, I would highly entertain that, and I would put him back with Phil. Phil put Phil back on that. Um, split those three guys back up. All right, so then if you're going to get there and, and let's run the Toronto thought process, just do a straight up him for Mata. Yeah. Contracts are similar ish. I, I, I think you'd be underselling Mata's perceived value, though. I, I'm, but that's kind of my point. Get there if you're rather than just go here. We'll give you Mata, just give us Bozak. I think I think fundamentally it's an even trade, but yes, the perceived value of what Oli Mata is, and maybe put him in a different environment where he is healthy, playing in a slightly different system, he might flourish and be worth that four mil. But the last eighteen months of, of hockey you've got out of Mata is, is not four mil worth. So those are just two Bonino replacement ideas I have. There, there's certainly other things out there, and I gotta, I gotta get my ass in gear, because this, these two weeks are gonna be crazy. Well, two days before all the players have to have their wave no waves in, and then basically it's on <laughs> from that point on up until July first. Like that's 18 days away. And you'll probably hear about a flurry trade soon. Oh, I think as soon as they're allowed to, um, I, I think that 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 will come up. Although apparently I read somewhere that Vegas are, are having to, they're doing a whole heap of weird shit with Vegas announcing stuff. Oh. In regards to the timing and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, I, I think if it was in a normal situation, it would get announced as soon as they're allowed to. But I think they're holding on to some of the Vegas outputs because the NHL is the NHL. So. Who else is on this? Colin, nice way to go out. He hasn't officially said it, but come on. Well, a legitimate question here. Colin played for the bare minimum for his age, right? Yeah. It's Him and Kunitz, to me, are in, in the same boat. Do you get there and come back to Pittsburgh one last crack? If you're Kunitz, you're going to have to play for a lot less and play a much Kunitz, different role. Yeah. I would I would love to have him around another year in a, in a bottom six role, the fourth line specifically. Yeah. Um, his his drop off did happen this year. It didn't happen yeah. before when people were on his case for some reason. Uh, it no, did it did happen stuff. this year, but you know, Chris Kunitz, Tom Kuhnhackel. No, no, Chris like Kunitz, that, Carter Rowney, Chris Kunitz. Like, come on, it's obvious. No, no, I know. So you go, what's the cutoff point if you're Pittsburgh to have him come back? And would Matt Cullen, like, Matt Cullen might be going, okay, that's it, I'm done, I'm toast. Yeah, I think that's happening. This team, whilst it has some gaping holes in a couple of areas in the back end, is not far away from being able to loop around and go again for a third, which is a repeat's unheard of. It's probably unpopular. I, I didn't think he was 
great this year. No, but once again, you run the previous argument you run. Him or Kunuckle? Are you talking Cullen or Kunitz? Yeah. Cullen? Cullen. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have... I think they're going to have two new bottom six centers. Oh, yeah, no, that's the... The thing the is, the thing is, Rowney had a roster spot for a winning cup run, and he'll, he'll get that fourth line center role. Sunquist, um, I don't know what to make of him. I think, you know, he'll end up being a whatever kind of player. And he's not, I don't know, it's hard. The bits and pieces I've seen of him, the one thing that Rowney does have on his side for the way this particular roster plays is speed. Sunquist seems a quarter of a step behind at times, and maybe it's just because of his build, because he's long and lanky, and you know Gino can occasionally look like he's coasting when he's actually flying. Sunquist just looks behind the behind the pace of what's going on out there. But I, like I said, I'd have Kunitz back at a at a prorated cost to what he he was this year, and one, I'd one year, have, one year, of course. Yeah, and I wasn't suggesting to add a second on there and push him out to thirty nine. Um, it's he's still one of the better possession players on this team. Yeah, he just can't finish. <laughs> so bottom six, great deal. One year, two mil. Welcome back. And as you always, as you always say, geez, he can actually play on the penalty kill. No surprise there. Oh God, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, the guy that hasn't done it in a decade is all of a sudden good at it. How'd that happen? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I feel bad we we haven't brought up the the game winning goal guy. Scored the Hang most on, best goal ever. Oh, did he ever? Oh, what a greasy goal! That's not that's not how you dream up your game winning. Well, maybe he did. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, oh, you know, that tied in nicely you... because who had the puck on a great little. Uh, forecheck retrieval and then skated it with control up towards the blue line and fed it to Schultz was Chris Kunitz. Yeah. And then uh, like, Hornquist, you know, he'll be like, the first yeah. one to tell you. He's just putting it in the area to get it to... Uh, you know what? I will say this. He, he could have just thrown it back at Rune, but he tried to get the puck up. Yep. Credit, credit's due there. He didn't just throw it back hoping to come off his pad. And, and he's he certainly done that. <laughs> The, the, he'll jam the puck at times, but yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Lucky, of course, but good, good play given the situation he was in. You know, you got to. Yeah. It's worth trying, and it was definitely worth trying. That's the thing that impressed me the most about that particular thing. He actually thought that through in the split second. He actually didn't just throw it in there like he normally would. He actually tried to lift the thing so, so it had a chance to bounce in where there was space. I'm so used to seeing him just try and jam that shit in there with brute force. Absolutely surprised the pants off me and probably surprised Pecker as well. It kind of sums up their playoff run, just being resourceful. He he Only Carter Rowney played less minutes than him in Game 6. And there he and is, he scoring the only... Not hand and... Finger, maybe? I mean, he certainly I'll was see. injured... But it's incredible that the $8 million Swedish wingers were the two goal scorers and they were fourth liners. Well, yeah. I mean, it's funny how that kind of works. Now, 
man, if they, if Pittsburgh can, does the trade, I gotta really go back and look at all these stupid rules. If they trade Flurry to Vegas, that counts as the selection, right? Then it's, you don't have to worry about seven and three or four and four. Oh, it, it depends on. Oh. Exactly. I've heard, very, I've heard varying things. The, what you just said I've heard is correct, then I've heard that it's not. So I've not read or listened anywhere that's given me a firm. And this is the ridiculousness of how complicated the NHL have made this is that the general fan, even the intense fan like you and me, don't know what the fuck's going on. Yeah, maybe it's laziness on my part, but I don't think so. No, you've just been watching your team win the Stanley Cup. Remember that. They just won the Stanley Cup. Yeah, but we're talking about <laughs> this kind of stuff because, like, in the next few days, like, Jim Rutherford yeah, has got a... He's, you know... He's got a lot of work to do, and he's not... It's all going to start happening. You, he's got to ask uh, people to waive their no movement clause in the next two days. I assume, Flurry being the obvious one. But you know, they got to make choice. It's let's say Flurry doesn't count towards that. You probably go seven and three because the strength of their team is the forwards. But you're also going to expose uh, a Mata or a Dumoulin. Well, I didn't think Dumoulin could be... I don't, didn't think it mattered because he's an RFA. No, no, he's played enough time. He's got to be protected. Right. Well, then just to, And I know the idea of just losing Marta for nothing is ridiculous. Yeah, and that's why he's got to be proactive here. Yeah. I, I thought about 4-4 four and four, uh, over the summer last, last summer, but let's be honest, that's... There's too many legitimate forwards to keep that make more of a difference than the, you know. Yeah, no, 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 you're exactly right. It's, but again, you can't lose a guy like Mata for nothing when the perceived value is what it is. Yeah. At least in my estimation. But, but you know, Hornquist is another interesting one. Style of play, 30, expiring contract. Do you really want to invest in his next contract? Personally, I say uh -huh. no. Uh, especially when you look at look at the right-wing depth that's coming through for Pittsburgh. Shiri and Gensel can both play it. Phil ain't going nowhere. Brian Rust is there. Daniel Sprong is going to be there. He's another perceived value guy that they could do well with. It's a little cruel to I, I, trade the game-winning cup goal guy, but that, that's another you know, realistic this, kind of scenario. These are the hard decisions that Lombardi didn't make, and that and that um, and Bowman seems to be able to get wrong and then just trade away his bad contracts. So they're the con they're, these are the decisions that extend a club's window. Because you don't get hung up on the the wonderful story and the wonderful bond you have with the player. You find a cheaper replacement so you can either have more of them and better depth, or you just find somebody of the same value who just produces more. And that this this the challenges that and there's no there's no magic formula for, for being able to do it. 
but they're the decisions that need to be made. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's going to be turnover this year. Last year there wasn't. This year they lost Botterill, and we've listed off a decent number of players that could could be gone. But you know, Sprong, Zach Aston Reese was a, a nice signing that you know happened a few months ago, but that's going to pay some dividends, I think. My my concern is just how they fill the holes in the back end. Yeah, it's going to be tricky and uh, interesting to watch how they try and accomplish it, to be honest. And and then Dumoulin's up for a contract, and he's a tough one because you can point to top-pairing minutes that he's played in back-to-back cups, but at some point I need some offense if I'm going to pay legit money. You know, if you look, it it will be really interesting to see through the contract negotiations for both himself and Schultz how much um, the Penguins value quality of competition versus production because Schultz got sheltered when he first turned up. Dumoulin's played, you know, top quality competition, you know, the last two years. And has produced minimal points. And with Latang, where you can make a yeah. breakout pass to Latang, and then he'll skate he it all the way, make a pass, and he's had 16 points and 15 points the last two years, which isn't enough. Not so not if you're up. getting. It'll be interesting to see what he gets. It shouldn't because be anywhere north of four. Otherwise, you're just doing another Mata thing. They're two interesting comparables, that's all. And it'll be really interesting for me to see whether both guys end up with the same total value of money, but they have it spread out differently over years. That's all. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that'll be an interesting negotiation. So. Kind of run the gauntlet here. We'll um, return to a league-wide focus in the upcoming podcast. It, you know, we were Penguins heavy, but I think for obvious reasons. So. <laughs> it's hard not to be. Um, I still can't believe they really won it. <laughs> it is funny. They, uh... They did it, though, and their best players were their best players, and the depth guys were not complete dog shit, so it worked. Yeah. And the and the one exception in regards to the, the depth player was Gensel. Do you know what I mean? Like, he was the person that picked up the slack when there was slack to be had. Yeah, he did lead the playoffs and goals. That seems okay. And that's... You, you need your... You need some of your ELCs to actually produce for you. You know, Pittsburgh had it last year with, you know, with Rust and, and Sheary contributing. Um, they just got most of the contribution from one guy this time around. Yeah, it's a, you had Haglin and Hornquist kind of not doing much this playoff run. Uh, Rust at times, the big game Brian Rust showed up, but uh, for a lot of it, it was kind of, eh. 
kind of sheary fell off the map. Yep. Yeah, this is a. This was the most grinding of their five titles for sure. I, I think it has a lot to do with how the games are called, but yeah. It was there was some tough tough hockey to watch through those four rounds. <laughs> watching all tough of watching them. that if you're Washington. Because oh. there even there were even games in that Washington series that weren't that fun to watch, and they're two highly skilled teams. So, you know, it, it's well next year it, the Penguins fun. won't be able to call timeout after that icing. <laughs> oh, good grief! So, just call all the slashes. Well. I suppose that'll conclude our 2016-17 coverage, and we will enter the off-season with next podcast. Who knows what the hell will happen in a week? <laughs> For those that are new to us, we'll, we we do record throughout the summer as well. We will not take the summer off. So. No, I need somewhere to talk hockey, and this is as good a place as any. <laughs> Not bad. <laughs> All right. Shall we go through where people can find us? Do the particulars. HockeyHurts.com, Patreon.com slash HockeyHurts, at Walshy66, at Hockey underscore Hurts, at Gunner Stahl. My Penguins articles will be at HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, and, and thank you to everybody who uh, checks out the work uh, throughout the year. Uh, much like how the podcast won't go away in the summer, uh, neither will the blog. I'll be certainly covering a bunch of bunch of different angles on this Penguins offseason that we just we talked about a lot of uh, uncertainty. So I'm going to try and narrow in on what kinds of things realistically they can do as I figure them out and um, am I missing so oh Facebook we have a Facebook page yeah Hockey Hurts Podcast on Facebook Hockey Hurts Podcast on Facebook very good um, missing anything um, no just thank you to everybody that's um, been contributing on, on Patreon um, I am trying to get uh, emails out to a few of you guys. Um, oh, and there is somebody I need to shout out to. That should be bad. Uh, and uh, Gerald Delaney, thank you very much for the five bucks. It's very, very appreciative. So cheers, big ears. And uh, we'll be back soon with all the chaos of the NHL offseason movement. Uh, until next time, we'll see you. Bye.